us that we can sing those lines. God, without you, we would suffer for eternity. We would suffer forever. But because of you, we can worship you forever. Father, I thank you for the atmosphere in this room. I thank you that it's in this room and it's in everybody's room who's watching and whoever may ever watch this. Father, I pray that you would teach us another side of worship. That you would take our worship to a deeper place. Father, your goodness and your mercy and your faithfulness and your love and your joy and your peace and your kindness. Jesus, we praise you. Jesus, we praise you. Jesus, we praise you. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would stain these children in this room with this atmosphere. God, stain it to their spirit, stain it to their souls, stain it to their mind. God, that when they find themselves in an atmosphere that doesn't match, they leave it. Father, I pray that you're giving them the gift of discernment even now. Jesus, we thank you, we praise you, we love you. We honor you in Jesus' name. Everybody said, Amen. Amen. You can be seated this morning. Amen. bought a whole case of waters and they're all bent at the bottom so it keeps falling so I hope it don't spill in Jesus name how you doing this morning Man, sometimes it's hard to preach because his presence is so good you just want to sit in it but you never know who may not know how to sit in it May not know what it is, may not even know him, so let's keep going. I'm excited this morning because I get to start a series with you today, my first series out here. How many of you ready to be challenged? Ready to be pushed and provoked and all that good stuff, right? So I'm going to let you know today kind of starts a little slower, and then next week it's kind of like, <laughs> so... Open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 25. We're starting a new series today. It's called Invest. Look at the person sitting next to you and say Invest. Now, I don't know if any of you, if any of you fool with the stock market any. I know about earlier last year, um, you may have been following on Facebook or Twitter or whatever, and you saw that whole GameStop stock situation where people who had a, 
bunch of stock in GameStop. They forgot they had it. Well, GameStop exploded, and there was all this mess going on. And I remember I even got got suckered into it. I had me a little Robin Hood account, and I was trying to figure out what Dogecoin was and all this nonsense. And I began realizing something. But, see, I don't fool the stock market much, but I look for God in everything. And And through watching this, I realized that there's something very common between the stock market and the kingdom of God, and that's people try to get a quick return in the stock market. They try to put their money on this different investment, this different stock, because it's about to skyrocket, and then when it gets high, they sell. And then they try to go put it in something else, and it gets high, and they sell. People do that in the kingdom. They come to Jesus. They don't have a lot. They, they invest in the kingdom, and then the moment they start getting a return, they pull out and go back to their old life. I remember many times, you'll see this over and over again, but we had... Different people throughout my time in ministry where their marriage would be broken, they'd come to church, God would fix their marriage, and they'd go back to the same lifestyle that broke their marriage. And they wonder why they're having trouble in their marriage. Because they came to the kingdom, they invested in the kingdom, the kingdom gave them a return, and they sold high and went back and did what they were doing before. And so we've got to realize is that just like in the stock market, the, the benefit is in the long game. It's when you invest something and you let it sit and you let it ride the wave and it gets bigger and then it drops and gets bigger. See, the kingdom, the investment is in the long game. The benefit is in the long game. But our society doesn't understand that. Our, our culture is immediate gratification constantly, constantly. How fast can I get a return? How fast? If I go to Chick-fil-A, and which is like the fastest fast food ever, right? But if it takes longer than like seven minutes, we start getting aggravated, Right? You ever, you ever watch one of the shows on Netflix that you have like a week in between and like on the fifth night, you're like, hey, take it too long. I could do seven days, do five. That's ridiculous. But why? Because we're so used to immediate gratification. Our culture is so fast, so fast when the kingdom is long term. The kingdom, the best results we won't even see in this life. Yet our culture is the exact opposite. Let's pray real quick. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for your word. I thank you for your presence. I thank you, God, that you're here. I pray that you would allow me to teach this word with truth. I pray that it falls on good ground, that it would yield a, a return of 30, 60, and 100 fold. I pray that, that we would have eyes to see and ears to hear what the Spirit of God is saying, and that we would follow you and trust you in Jesus' name. Amen. There's just one difference between the stock market and the kingdom. Is in the stock market, you can lose. In the kingdom, you can't. You can't. So we're talking about invest. The word invest means to commit money or currency or something for a return, usually a financial return. It's to make use of for a future benefit, to involve or engage, especially emotionally. Now, you know people who are investing, they get attached to their investment, right? And if they lose it, they have a basket case. We all know what invest means, but most people, when you ask them, why don't you invest in the stock market, they say that I don't have the means to. I don't have the disposable income to invest and play with in the stock market. That's what everybody says. And, and, and a lot of times we don't realize that, but people have the same mindset in the kingdom. Well, I can't invest. I can't invest because I don't have the means to. I don't have the ability to. I don't have the, the, the amount that I need to really invest in the kingdom. And, and this morning's message is to shatter that because every 
person God created has been given three currencies. Three currencies to invest with. Three. We're going to get into those this morning. Matthew 25, verse 14. For the kingdom of heaven is like. If you want to take notes, you want to underline that statement because it happens all throughout the Bible. For the kingdom of heaven is like. Most of Jesus' teachings are teaching us what the kingdom is like. Why would it be so important for Jesus to teach us what the kingdom is like? I'll tell you why. Because when he taught us how to pray, he said, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So if we are to pray that his kingdom is to come on the earth, we should know what that kingdom is and what it looks like and how it operates. Because if not, we're not going to know how that kingdom is supposed to come on earth. You ever think about that statement? Your kingdom come on earth as it already is in heaven. That's why he teaches us the kingdom of heaven is like so many times throughout the Bible. The kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his servants to them and delivered his goods to them. And to one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to each according to his own ability. That's a powerful line right there. And immediately he went on a journey. Here we see a man traveling to a far country and leaving his goods in the hand of his servants. The man leaving represents Jesus, and the people he's leaving his goods to are us. Now, not referring to the gifts of the Spirit we find in 1 Corinthians 12 and Ephesians 4, but those, this passage would apply also in studying about the gifts of the Spirit. But this morning, we're not doing that. We're talking about the gifts he's given to every man. Before we go any further, you also have to realize that no man can do anything without God. John 3.27 says that no man can be given anything unless it comes from the Father. And James 1.17 says that every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights, in whom there is no turning shadow or shifting shadow. So everything comes from God. So if you ever hear the statement, I made something of myself. No, you didn't. I built this. No, you didn't. No, but I was broke, and then I started my business, and then I made a, I'm a millionaire now. No, it doesn't matter if you started the business. You didn't have anything of your own to do any of that with. So we have to understand that we don't make anything of ourselves. Unbelievers, people who don't know Jesus, still don't make nothing of themselves because they're using the currencies that God gave them. And they're investing it in the, in, the, in the world, and they're using wisdom, most of which starts or is found in Scripture, and they're getting a return on it, but they're not investing in the kingdom. And so we have to understand that we need to do this the right way. The first one of the three currencies is time. Time. You ever, you ever told a friend, thanks for spending time with me. Think about the phrase. I'm spending time. We talk like this all the time. We don't realize it's currency. But I'm spending my time with you. I want to spend time. Last night, I spent time with my wife. I could have spent that time pressure washing my garage. But last night... I had a better investment opportunity by spending time with my wife. It's a currency that I've been given. It's time. 
Psalm 139, 16. Do you have that up there? You, your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed, and in your book they were all written, the days fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. I want One of my favorite parts about this verse is your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed. Your eyes saw, God saw your purpose before he put you in a body. So he built your body around your purpose. So we can't have this should discredit and cancel out every attack and assignment of insecurity because, oh, I don't look good enough. I don't have this enough. I'm too heavy. I'm too skinny. I'm too short. I'm too tall. I'm the wrong ethnicity. No, God saw your purpose and said, mm, this purpose for Chris looks like it needs to fit in a five foot eight frame that has a beard and a terrible hairline. But that's what that purpose needs to be in for whatever reason. I was kind of wishing I could have Tom Cruise hair, but I don't have Tom Cruise hair. I got this. But it's all right because when God saw my substance, he said he don't need Tom Cruise hair. He needs this hair. Maybe if I had Tom Cruise hair, I'd be too arrogant and I wouldn't be able to be a preacher. I don't really know. But we're just going to go with that. But he saw my substance. But all my days were written. You realize God's not surprised. I love how it doesn't say all, they were all determined. They were all written. Romans 8, 29 says that those he foreknew, he also predestined. God saw your life. God saw your decisions. God saw where you would be. And then he predestined his purpose within your decisions. He, y'all, I got to be careful. I'll start preaching about something else if I don't, be, if I, if I don't, if I don't stay on track here. But. We don't determine when we're born. We don't determine anything about where we are born or to whom we're born. Have you ever had somebody say the statement, man, I wish I had been born in this time or this era? Or you see a movie. Every year when we go, we usually go to Gulf Shores or Perdido Key or something every summer with the kids. And there is, um, what's it called? I can't. The Sunliner Diner. If you've ever been to Gulf Shores, go to the Sunliner Diner. It is a, like a 1950s replica restaurant. And... Every single time I walk in, I'm like, man, why wasn't I alive in the 50s? I think the music is better. I think the clothes are better. It's like all of it. It's like all of it. And I'm like, why wasn't, why wasn't I alive then, you know? Because God didn't want me alive in the 50s. God wanted me alive in 2022. And then I'm like, well, I could be. I mean, my grandma was. She's 87. She's still around. She was alive in the 50s. Obviously, he needs me for something a little longer than, you know, the 2020s. But. You ever say that? We don't get to pick that. My first night as youth pastor in 2009, I preached a message, and I had a young girl come up to me and tell me that she remembered picking her parents, and she remembered picking where she wanted to be born. And I said, sweetheart, <laughs> you have a fantastic imagination. We don't get to pick any of that. And see, the problem is what the sin nature in humanity has done is it has judged people, persecuted people, enslaved people, and slaughtered people based upon things that they had no control over. Racism exists because we have a problem with the assignment of God on other people. We just don't realize that. Prejudice and sexism exists because we have a problem with the assignment in other people. You know why? Because that assignment isn't like mine. 
Now, we also don't determine how much we have. Now, there are promises in Scripture that I cling to. And Ephesians 6 says, if you honor your mother and your father, your days shall be long upon the earth. And I mess with my brothers all the time that I'm going to outlive them because I was the best kid. <laughs> my mom and daddy will tell you that I was the most behaved child. I'm praying for Cliff, y'all. We need to pray for him. <laughs> but we had those promises. But I can't do anything to pick how long it is, but I can definitely do some stuff to shorten it. I can spend my time the wrong way, and my life can be trouble, and I could, I could erode the time that I do have quickly by the choices that I make. So we have time. The second one, we have talent. 1 Peter 4, 10 through 11. You got that? There we go. As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. That's a whole line that I can't stop on. Keep going if I'll preach all day. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it with the ability with God supplies. That in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. That in all things, say all things. All things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Many times we think of talent as only something we're good at. These are two, there are two ways I like to think of our talents. And the first one are the personal advantages given to us according to our purpose. They are given to us specifically in order to accomplish the individual purpose God has for us. This right here is what we would think of normally as our talent, right? Nick can play the piano. Nick cannot slam dunk a 10-foot goal. <laughs> we can see where Nick is talented and where Nick is not talented, <laughs> right? I can play music. I cannot dunk. I can't dunk an 8-foot goal. I, and I'm saying he might be able to dunk an 8-foot. I can't dunk an 8-foot goal. We can see where the talent lies, but you may be saying, Pastor Chris, I don't have talent like that. I don't have talent like that. Well, no, you may not have musical talent or athletic talent. You may not have those things. But the second part of talent that we do have is that we have, there are small portions of God's nature. We're made in his image, so our talents and giftings are pieces of himself that we use to reflect him with. For example... I might be able to be naturally gifted as a musician and hear a song and play it to you, but I do not have the natural gift to walk in a room and make you feel better just by being there. You might. You might be able to walk into a room and just the, the, the personality that you carry, the joy that you walk with, the bubbliness of your personality can just make people smile when you walk in the door. That is a gift. That is a talent because, remember, everything comes from God. So you can't do that because you're funny. God made you funny. God made you able to be jovial and walk into a room and encourage people simply by sitting down and saying, man, how was your day? You know how you can ask somebody, how was your day? And it could be a great question or a terrible question based upon your day and how they asked it. If I were going to say, how's your day? Well, most people, when a pastor asks how their day was, they think, oh, do I need anything spiritual? Is there anything going on? Is there anything i got to repent of? And, and it, it's a loaded question. When I say, man, how's your day? They're like, good, fine. <laughs> if Joanne's like, how's your day? Man, it's great. How you doing? You're like, boom. It, um, Rhonda does that. 
Rhonda, she'll come to the office and she'll met. And she walks in and she says, and she just smiles. She ain't got to say nothing. She just smiles. But you notice it because there's a gift. There's a talent that God has given there. Real quick about the talents that we have. You ever heard of it, the best analogy I have is from music, so you remember me. Have you ever been at a worldly event, maybe it's a fair or a festival or a concert, and somebody's talent blows you away and, like, you get the goosebumps and everything? And they ain't worshiping Jesus, but the, the talent changes the room. When I was in high school, my band director played the saxophone, and um, she played a song one time on her tenor saxophone. And I now you're talking about a high school full of cheerleaders and band members and the whole nine yards in the gymnasium. And she played this song, and it was silent because the talent was so – she wasn't under the anointing. It was just the talent because it came from God. The talent came from God. What we do is we yield that talent to the anointing, and now it has supernatural influence. So the second one is talent. The first one is time. The second one is talent. The third one is faith, Romans 12, 3. For I say through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt each one a measure of faith. Matthew 17 says it takes the message seed to, you say to this mountain, and it could be cast into the sea. It's a small, Ravenhill says it's a small, tiny morsel of this power-packed stuff can do more than we could ever possibly imagine. So faith is the other one. And every man's been given faith. And it's because every man's been given faith that every man can be born again. Somebody say amen to that. Amen. Now, we see the three currencies, time, talent, and faith. Let's go back to Matthew 25, 16. Then he who received the five talents went and traded with them and made another five talents. And likewise, he who had received two, two more also. But he who received one went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. So he who had received the five talents came and brought five, ta five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I have gained five more talents beside them. His Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many. Enter into the joy of your Lord. He also, who, he also had received two talents, came and said, Lord, you delivered me two talents. Look, I've gained two more talents besides them. His Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enjoy, enter into the joy of the Lord. Verse 24, then he who had received one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. And I was afraid and went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. But his Lord answered and said to him, you wicked and lazy servant. I love when Jesus has an attitude, you wicked and lazy servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. So you ought to deposit it with my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I could have received back my own with interest. Therefore, take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. There's a very important principle that I want to pull out of this passage. 
and we're going to camp out here for a second to make sure that we get it. The servant who had five talents invested his five talents and got ten. The person who was given two talents invested the two talents and got four. When they both returned to the master, they both got the same reward. The man who had four wasn't rewarded less because he didn't have ten. The man who had four was not rewarded less because he didn't have ten. The man who had five wasn't rewarded more because he had ten. They were rewarded the same. They got the exact same statement from the master. Why? Not because of the amount that they had, but they did the same thing with the amount they were given. They did the same thing with the amount they were given. See, this is where we screw things up bad. People may say, Pastor Chris, you got five talents. I can't ever keep up with you. Man, I think it's kind of funny, and then I also think it's it, it's sometimes a little frustrating. When I when I go preach somewhere as a guest pastor or something, and the pastor says, man, when it comes to ministry, Pastor Chris hit the ministry lottery. Man, he can sing, he can play, he can preach, he can do all this kind of stuff. And almost like, like well, he's got all these advantages. So he don't need as much Jesus. Like, hold up. Oh, hold up. I was given talents. I got to invest them. I was given talents. I got to invest them. What ends up happening is if we don't have five and we only have two, we say, man, I, I, I'm ashamed to only invest my two. I don't have as much as this person, so I I I don't want to. I just y'all know what I'm talking about because because we feel this way all the time. I don't have that to give. I don't, I don't have that. Notice I'm not talking about money. Disclaimer: This message is not about money. I don't have that to give, Pastor Chris. I I don't know what to do because I I wish I wish that I could be like Don Trell. I wish that I could be like Taylor. I wish that I could be. Like Nick, but I, I just don't have that. So, so I, I just I, I, insecurity comes in, and rejection comes in, and then you meet the one knucklehead that don't know the kingdom and judges you because you can't do those things. And you're like, oh man, I can't. Y'all ever heard the statement, man? I can't. If I can't do it a hundred percent, I'm not doing it at all. Stupid. Stupid. Why? That's why people fail going to the gym. Why? Because if I can go 100% of the time and do it 100%, I ain't going to go at all. That's a cop-out because you don't want to work at 60%. You don't want to work at it. You don't want to fail at it. You don't want to have to learn and grow and develop over time. You'd rather just either be great at it or not at all. And we judge each other and we criticize each other. Or worse, we judge and criticize ourselves based upon the amount that God has given us when God's the one who knows how much he gave you because God's the one that put it in you in the first place. He's the one that knows what he's called you to do. And he's not judging you based upon how you compare to me. He's only judging you based upon what you do with what he gave you. I am not going to stand up before the Lord and be compared to Pastor Carl. 
I hope not. I'm going to be compared to what God put in me when he saw my substance while yet being unformed. He's going to look back at before time began and say, I gave Chris this. What did Chris do with it? When I was growing up, I had two, I had two major worship leading heroes. I don't know if you knew this, but I, I was, until 2009, I was going to be a worship artist. That's what I thought I was going to be. I was writing songs. My goal was to write a song every week. Didn't really do that, but I've written over 70, and you've heard about 10 of them maybe. Most people have only heard about 10 of them, but that was my goal. And I had two major mentors, one well, major people I looked up to. One was Lindell Cooley from the Brownsville Bible, and the other was Jonathan Stocks that we sang one of his songs this morning. And I've had the chance to meet Jonathan and hang out with Jonathan and have lunch with Jonathan and all kind of great stuff, right? Woo! But there were times when I was younger that the enemy would come in and tell me that, well, if I had what Jonathan had, I could do that. But I don't. I'm in Chalmette. We got hit by Katrina. We ain't got no people. We ain't had no building. We ain't got no money. If we had, if I had what Bethany had, it'd be all right. And my self-righteous, arrogant self is thinking that I'm something that I'm not when God's not comparing me to Jonathan. God's comparing me to what he gave me. But I was too busy comparing myself to Jonathan to find out what's the best way to invest what he gave me. When had I been on my face enough, I might have realized, dummy, I'm not calling you to be a worship artist. I'm calling you to be a pastor. How about you spend the time you're putting in trying to write songs to become famous and be a millionaire in a study in the word or maybe go to college and get a degree that's going to help you be a better minister. But no, 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 that's not. No, I was too busy looking at what he had in his account and what he had in his field and how we similar, right? I can sing, he can sing. Our vocal range is kind of the same. He's a way better piano player than me, but I'm better drumming than he is. So we'll just kind of see it washes out maybe. And man, my field don't look like his. Yeah, but if I had, if I had the seed access he had. And I wasted four or five years of my life thinking like this. Because I was looking at somebody else's field. You will always miss out on what God has called you to do, what God has gifted you to do, and what God has put you on this planet to do if you're too busy looking at somebody else's field. See, what ends up happening is when we start comparing our talents, it shifts from I don't have that to I have more. It shifts into, well, why doesn't God like me like that? Why did God give them that? I'm, I'm, I'm going to make a statement that nobody in this room has ever made, right? Man, Lord, why did you give that Christian so much money? They don't even give enough. That per, if I had that person's money, God, I'd be, I'd be, I'd be tithing 40%. Boo-boo, you ain't tithing 10. But I'm going to tithe 40% if I had that kind of money. That's next week. No. We compare and we look. And then what ends up happening, see, the enemy wants us to do this. Why? Because the moment that we start looking at God and being upset with what he gave us, we start questioning the character of the Father. And if I start questioning the character of the Father in one area, the enemy can get me to question his character in every area. The next time I go to the doctor and get a report I don't want, well, God, why would you do that to me? 
Why? We begin thinking that God has something against us. When he actually does, if not for Jesus. But if we're not careful, when we're looking at somebody else's field, or I'm looking at somebody else's resources, I start questioning the character of God. And I cannot question the character of God because that same character that purchased my salvation, that paid for the redemption of my sin, that paid for my pardon, that has his goodness following after me all the days of my life. It's that same character. But when I begin to question because I compare myself to Nick, or Nick compares himself to Caitlin, or whatever, when I begin to compare ourselves, we challenge and begin chipping away at the authority and the character of God in our lives. And the next thing we know, we're doubting God. We're having bitterness against God. We're getting frustrated with God. And we don't know why we're not seeing favor in our lives. Or we're not seeing blessing in our lives. While we're full of anxiety all of a sudden. While we're full of frustration all of a sudden. When, honey, you, you've, been, you've been doubting and questioning God for six months. That's going to manifest somewhere in your life. It's going to produce some type of trouble somewhere in your life because I'm looking at everybody else. And in America, it's the worst because it used to be you had to be out somewhere to compare yourself to somebody. Now you've got to be awake. And you grab your phone and you start scrolling. Y'all, it's, it, it, it gets so ridiculous if we're not careful. So ridiculous. The amount of comparing that can take place. You can say, Pastor Chris, I can't preach like you or I can't sing like you. Well, good. You know why? Because you aren't expected to. Find out what you're expected to do because that's what you're going to be judged on. Because I am expected to do what I'm doing. Probably more than what I'm doing. What are you being called to do? What's God expecting you to do? Usually, what God is expecting you to do is the very things that you're thinking are insignificant. See, it's not the stuff that I can't do that God expects me to do. It's the stuff that I think don't matter. That's what God is usually calling me to do. Why? Pastor Chris, your church in Shelman has no roof. Your whole building got destroyed. Your church has been through a church split. You got all kind of chaos going on. Why in the world are you taking a church in Metairie? I mean, really. Why? Let somebody else do it. Why? Does it really matter? You got so much other stuff going on. Does it really matter? Really doesn't matter. I mean, you, 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 you hear the, the amount of times I've been told not to be here. The amount of times that, Pastor Chris, do you, is, it really, is it really worth it? Well, thank God that I'm not judging myself compared against their fields. Thank God that I understand that most of the time, the things that we're told don't matter can be done by someone else. These are the arguments the enemy gives you. Man, you don't need to be an usher. Somebody else can be an usher. Well, I can't be an usher. Nick can't be an usher, so now we're down to. Oh, you, I, you don't have to work children's church. Somebody else can. You don't have to work sound. Somebody else can. 
You don't have to be a small group leader. Somebody else can. You don't have to be a missionary. Somebody else can. You don't have to go onto the bridge. Somebody else can. You don't have to, you don't have to tie that 20% instead of 10%. Somebody else can. No, no, no. Stop saying someone else can or will do it. If God is revealing it to you, he's revealing it to you because he plans on you being the solution. When I sat at breakfast with Pastor Carl, when he told me about the situation, that's the thought process that went through my mind. God, you're revealing this to me because you want me to be part of the solution. At that moment, I didn't know I was going to be this involved in the solution. But I knew I was going to be part of it. Because he brought it to my attention. He showed it to me. Why? Because I've got the investment. He put the, the currency in me to be able to invest it in this part of his field to produce the results that he wants. Stop looking and saying, I can't invest the way Nick does, so I'm not going to invest. I can't invest the way Jamie does, so I'm not going to invest. Stop doing that because you're robbing yourself and you're robbing the kingdom and you're robbing the lost of what God has placed on the inside of you. Because everything he's placed on the inside of you, he wants to put his spirit on. He wants to put his anointing on. Pastor Chris, I don't know what it's like to move the anointing. Well, because you haven't been letting him anoint this currency he gave you. You haven't been letting him touching it, his hands on the things that he's given you. The results didn't matter to the master. The obedience and the investment did. The results didn't matter. I may never pastor a 5,000-member church. But if I'm not expected to, that's okay. It's not in my notes. I want to show you something real quick. Go to Matthew chapter 1. <clears throat> We're going to go to the, one of the chapters everybody always skips through when they read in the year Bible. Go to Matthew chapter 1. We're going to go to verse, we have phone, go to verse 12. You might not skip it in Matthew because it's the first chapter. But when you're reading through Chronicles, don't lie and tell me you don't flip through the names quick. <laughs> don't, don't, no, no, I love the names. No, I do now because of this. But before I used to flip through them suckers so fast, I don't even know who's, who's uncle, I don't care, right? 12. And after they were brought to Babylon, Jeconia begot Sheltiel. And Shealtiel begot Zerubel, and Zerubel begot Abiud, and Abiud begot Eliakim, and Eliakim begot Azor, and Azor begot Zadok, and Zadok begot Achim, and Achim begot Eliud, and Eliud begot Eleazar, and Eleazar begot Mathan. Underline Mathan for me, if you got your Bible. <clears throat> and Mathan begot Jacob. Jacob begot Joseph, the husband of Mary of whom was born Jesus, who was called the Christ. You've probably never heard that name, Mathan, before, ever. In a sermon, you probably never remembered. If I asked you who was Jesus' earthly great-grandfather in Bible trivia, you'd have lost. Because nobody knows his name. Yet he made the Bible. Billy Graham didn't. He made the Bible. Smith Wigglesworth didn't. Leonard Ravenhill didn't. John Luther, I mean, Martin Luther didn't. He made the Bible. Why? Not because he won all these people to Jesus. He made the Bible because he was a great-grandpa. See, the Messianic line, the prophecy said that Jesus, the Messiah, was going to be born from the house of David. 
So if Nathan is a deadbeat dad and doesn't raise his son Jacob, Jacob doesn't grow up and have a son named Joseph, who's the earthly father of Jesus. Seems so minuscule. Seems so insignificant. Doesn't really matter. No, the man is in the lineage of Jesus for being a dad. He's in the lineage of Jesus for getting up every day and providing for his family and making sure that his children grew up. He's not compared to Moses. When he, got, when he gets to stand before God and God looks at his life, God's not judging him based upon Moses, Elijah, and David. God's judging him based upon Nathan. Trust me, there are going to be people who were given one talent, two talents, and three talents who are going to get rewards, and people who had ten will not. Because even if somebody went from ten to seventeen, they didn't go from ten to twenty. They fell short. But somebody who understands, no, I need Jesus. Every day, all day, I need him. That's what matters. Back to Matthew 25. If we don't invest our time, talent, and faith in the kingdom, we will face the same judgment as the wicked servant. Twenty-five, Chapter 25, verse 28. Therefore, take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. For everyone who has, more will be given. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. <clears throat> and cast the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. <clears throat> We have a command from the Lord to invest in the kingdom. And see, here's the, to sum it all up, I'm not going to read it right now. Hebrews 9 says, it's been appointed a time unto man to die and then the judgment. You've been appointed a time. You've been given an assignment. You've been given a deposit. You've been given a currency of time on which you have been, what God has given you. And it's that amount of time. And then judgment. That's it. What are you going to do with it? My youth pastor used to always preach a sermon. When he would give in his altar call, he would always say, your life is not the sum of how many pictures you take, how many things you do, how much money you make. Your life is the summary of the dash between the year you were born and the year you die. That's your life. And you get to take that dash and stand before God with it. That's all you get. But I'm pretty sure I serve a God who took five loaves and two fish and fed 5,000. So the God that I serve can take that dash and change history if I invest it. But I can't invest in the kingdom until I'm a part of it. I can't invest in the kingdom until I've invested my life. I'm giving him my life. I've said, Jesus, I'm yours. So bow your heads with me this morning. You might be sitting there saying, Pastor Chris, I've never invested myself in the kingdom. I've never given Jesus my life. Because remember, you got faith. You're investing your faith in something. I know I'm going to invest it into Jesus. You may be here this morning and say, Pastor Chris, I've never given my life to Jesus. Every head bowed and every eye closed. If you're here today and you could say, I've never given my life to Jesus, 
or I have, and I've jacked it up. That you just slip your hand and put it right back down. Second thing I want to say this morning is if you're here, you can say, Pastor Chris, I'm struggling with investing what God's given me because I don't believe it's good enough. 